Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we meet in the Archbishop's Corner, it's always a new adventure, a journey in faith. And today's journey takes us beyond the cross, beyond the tomb to resurrection life. We are people of hope. Some wise person once said, in my deepest, darkest moments, what really got me through was a prayer. Sometimes my prayer was, help me. Sometimes my prayer was, thank you. What I've discovered is that an intimate connection and communication with my Creator will always get me through because I know my support, my help, is just a prayer away. And it is through prayer that faith can be strengthened, faith in resurrection life. And our local guide to faith is Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair. With just the answer to one question, he may help move us along on life's journey to successfully live out our faith and navigate our way through the challenges of our contemporary world. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into your space, into the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Very well, thank you. I can't believe it's already the 30th and last day of June. Tomorrow is the 1st of July, and it's actually National Make a Difference to Children Month. The month reminds us of the many ways adults can make a positive difference in a child's life. We can communicate with leaders to make children a priority, commit to doing one special thing with a child. Do you have any ideas on how we can all make a difference in the lives of children, Archbishop? Well, the greatest gift that we can give to our children is faith, you know, uh, and that's so important. When you see little children uh, and you see their sensitivity to the things of God and, and spiritual things, it's really very moving. Now, we know kids can also be mischievous and downright naughty sometimes. But there is certain at a certain point with little children where uh, they have a tremendous uh, sensitivity toward uh, the faith. And uh, I particularly am grateful to those uh, grandparents who step in with their uh, little ones in the family and try to be sure that they are uh, exposed to the faith and to, the, to our Lord and Our Lady and the saints, even when sometimes the parents themselves may not be very practicing uh, and that's not to take away from the many parents too who do who are uh, you know giving this to their children but children and grandparents both that's a that you can't give a greater gift than than the gift of your faith of your catholic faith to our little ones and you know when you see them at the first holy communion or you see them uh for devotions and things it's really very uh, encouraging yeah, I, th I think that sometimes parents are a little bit reluctant to bring their young children to Mass because they, they might fuss or, or cry every now and then. But I think it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing for the entire church community to see young children at Mass, don't you? Well, certainly, you know. I, uh, I mean, we're so happy to see uh, families with children at Mass nowadays, uh, no matter what. Uh, you know, Personally, I don't. In the old days, when they had crying rooms for for people to participate in mass, but so that it was separate, I, I guess some people or many people don't particularly like that. Although there are those who use it, if that's uh, available and and you and you're not opposed to it, that's good too. The important thing is to be there at mass. 
we all are guilty of forgetting things, whether it's an appointment or a loved one's birthday. Tuesday is the day to celebrate it. It's I Forgot Day. Are you forgetful, Archbishop? I'm getting more forgetful as I get older. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, we went to school together many years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, Gatsack. Yeah, I remember yeah, now. That, that's the name. You didn't forget the name. Well, this Wednesday is the feast day of St. Thomas the Apostle. St. Thomas is commonly known as Doubting Thomas because he doubted Jesus' resurrection. Later, he confessed his faith, saying, My Lord and my God, on seeing Jesus' crucifixion wounds. Talk a little bit about Thomas and his doubt and his confession of faith, Archbishop. Well, we often hear about him at uh, Easter, uh, you know, the appearance of the risen Lord, uh, where he wasn't present in the room when the other apostles were, and then when they tell him that they'd seen Jesus alive, he doubts it. He, he said, I'm not going to believe it. But then the following week, Jesus comes back, and this time he has to face the Lord, and he, he says, you know, I believe, help my uh, my unbelief, and and the, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And of course, that is uh, that is really all all of us, because we are blessed that we haven't uh, seen with our physical eyes the risen Christ, but we believe. So Thomas is basically an inspiration for all of us or all those who from time to time might have a doubt about faith. Well, I think he's uh, the the model, the patron, you know, but I, uh, now I may be making too fine a point here, but I think it was blessed soon to be St. John Henry Newman who said that a thousand difficulties do not make a doubt. And mm. I think uh, in the strict sense of the word doubt, that's not something that, that is good and, that, and that's something we, we, we don't want to, to have. But uh, a thousand difficulties, you know, that, that, in other words, we have, may have many questions about our faith. We may wonder, we may ask, we may be troubled, but these are difficulties that we ask God to resolve for us uh, by his grace. But, uh, you know, I think it's the letter James says that... Uh, People who doubt are like, uh, I think he says it's like the waves being thrown up on the shore, you know, that uh, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really uh, lead to anything good. Um, and tossed here and there, you know. So I think we all have to pr- ask for the gift of faith. Let's now take a look at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's Address, and we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said, Archbishop. Now, this is taken from Pope Francis's general audience, delivered on May 7th of 2014, and it's called, Prayer Makes Room. We always return to the same theme, prayer. Prayer is so important. It's important to pray with the prayers that we learned as children, but also to pray with our own words, to be able to ask the Lord, Lord, help me. Advise me, what must I do now? Prayer makes room for the Spirit to come and help us to teach us what to do. Prayer. Never forget prayer. Never. No one knows when we are praying. We might be on the bus or walking down the street. We pray in the silence of our heart. Let us take advantage of these moments to pray. Pray that the Spirit gives us the gift of counsel. Archbishop, your thoughts. Well, I think uh, it's very important that for prayer that we be what traditionally is called recollected. It's a big word, but it means that, I mean, a lot of times when we pray, we are distracted or we're just relying more on a formula 
than on anything else. And that's not bad. Sometimes that's just the way we, we are, the way circumstances are. But it is important to somehow, you know, the definition of prayer is raising our minds and hearts to God. And to do that, before we pray, we ought to recollect ourselves in some way. We ought to um, be conscious of what we are doing and whom we are addressing. And therefore, you know, some have put it this way, that, that the very apex of our souls, at the very high point of our souls, in the inner sanctuary of our being, we, we have to raise our mind and heart to God. And I think that's, that's an important thing for all of us to strive to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, we just don't, you know, mumble out a prayer uh, without stopping first to think who we are addressing and what we're trying to do. Uh, I think that that's an important aspect of prayer. And um, so it's true what the Pope says. Of course, we can be praying when we're on the bus, walking down the street, the silence of our heart. Uh, but uh, but always with a, a sense of who we are who we are addressing when we pray. Cognizant of what we're doing. Yeah, to the best that we're able. Because yeah. we all get distracted. Distraction uh, and our mind wandering or whatever, or being tired, that's part of life. Uh, but it's that we strive to to overcome those things. One of the interesting things that I hope makes the point that, about praying on the bus or walking down the street, actually, we can pray wherever we're at. When you're standing in line at a fast food restaurant waiting to order your hamburger, that you can't say a prayer. Certainly. And, of course, traditionally, there were moments of the day given to a prayer, even just a short one, you know, the, the Angelus uh at noon or, or at 6 p.m. or You know, to, to, uh, that wasn't just for monks. That was for ordinary people, too, to pu- punctuate the day with prayer. I can't get over the number of people that have commented to us here at WJMJ because we pray the Angelus on the radio at 6 in the morning, noon, and 6 in the evening, and people absolutely love it because it causes them to stop wherever they are and to pray along with us. Well, obviously, that's a that's really a very good thing, you know. I I had to laugh, although I I must say I, it was a mixed kind of laughter because in another way it's sad. But I was at uh, the Wadsworth uh, Museum here in Hartford, mm-hmm. and they had a beautiful uh, book of hours, uh, you know, one of these medieval uh, prayer books that with all the uh, you know illuminations and the prayers of the day, and the little identifying tag in the case says. Imagine, I'm paraphrasing now because I can't remember the exact words, but it says, imagine a time when people uh, prayed throughout the day. (laughs) And it made it sound like, you know, this was only in the Middle Ages that anyone would possibly think (laughs) of praying during the day. I thought, well, my goodness, what's so so, uh, otherworldly about that? You know, I, I hope to think that there are a lot of people who... Who used who during different times of the day offer prayer to God? As if that was something that happened in the ancient past, but yeah, no longer happens today. B- bizarre, you know. I I mean, I, I hate to tell them, but the breviary, you know, that we uh, priests and religious use uh, is pr- printed in hundreds of thousands of copies. Where, <laughs> yes, that's what we do. We uh, now, of course, as a busy uh, priest not living in a monastery, we're not always able to say the appointed prayer at the particular hour. But we still retain that reality, you know, that uh, that the prayer prayer punctuates uh, the day. Well, I, I think that there are more and more people that enjoy praying throughout the course of the day. 
Like you see these these books that are produced monthly, like the Magnificat and Give Us This Day, that are produced to help people pray at various points in the day, and along with the divine office that the priests pray, kind of a shortened version of the same. Yes, indeed. Archbishop, let's uh, take a look at our gospel reading on this 13th Sunday in Ordinary Time, the 30th and the last day of June. Today's readings from Luke's Gospel, the ninth chapter, and after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you. Ask for your thoughts. When the days drew near for him to be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But the people would not receive him, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to bid fire come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Archbishop, your thoughts on this gospel? Well, this is a very uh, interesting uh, gospel uh, that tells us something about our Lord's ministry, but also tells us something about our mission in life. The urgency of the message that Jesus goes out preaching the, the gospel to repent and to believe. And uh, they don't linger in any one place for a long time, but they the, the importance of going out and proclaiming the good news to the world, the good news of Jesus himself. Jesus will brook no delay and he will not accept any excuses. Uh, people say, oh, well, yeah, but I've got other family obligations first, or I have to do this or that, or, you know, I, I really need to provide for my accommodations and all this. And, of course, this is especially a good lesson for us who are clergy, but for every uh, Christian, uh, that we, we are called, we are sent, we're meant to go out into the world uh, with the urgency of the good news of salvation. Um and Jesus says, no one who sets a hand to the plow and looks back to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow, what a powerful thing, you know, for it is. Christianity that's been around for 2,000 years. And we're just kind of, well, you know, I was born Catholic. And yeah, I might go to church here and there. And, and Jesus is saying, no one who sets a hand to the plow and looks back at what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. That, you know, Jesus and our faith... Are, are meant to be uh, decisive in our life. It's meant to be life-changing. And uh, sometimes that change comes very gradually. I think it has for me. You know, I was born uh, into a family. I was baptized and raised Catholic and et cetera. But, but there has to be a real sense of the importance and urgency of this and of uh, bearing witness to this message, which is Jesus himself, to the world. It, it's interesting. Jesus goes through a Samaritan village but they don't welcome him because he's going to Jerusalem. So political animosity today is nothing new. Oh, no, no, of course not. And uh, at the time of Christ, there were all kinds of tensions because, 
you had the divisions between Jews and Samaritans, and then you had the occupying Roman uh, conquerors. And, uh, you know, and, and the other thing, too, we should appreciate is that uh, Palestine in the, at those times was not uniformly uh, a Jewish uh, land. There were, you know, we read about there being Gentile cities and and uh, Roman colonies and things in the in the midst in the midst. So it uh, there was a great diversity of people, and uh, as always, sadly in this world, there were also then hatreds, prejudices, divisions. You know, and of course Jesus, when he went to the Samaritans or others, was roundly criticized uh, for having anything to do with people who were not Jews. So. But Jesus came as the Savior for all. And James and John see the animosity of the Samaritan village, and they get angry. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus rebukes them. But isn't that just like us? Someone doesn't accept us, and we retaliate, and we want to destroy them. How dare you? Yeah, well, that's the way uh, the fallen human condition is. Uh, but Jesus, of course, came for all, and... Uh, meant to be a universal uh, uh, message, not just a message, but a universal reality and truth in himself. And, uh, well, look at look at the utter uh, irrationality of the fact that Jesus, Mary, Joseph, all the apostles, everyone is Jewish, and yet the anti-Semitic prejudice that has stalked uh, Christ, uh, some Christians uh, and even large segments of Christianity through the centuries, mm, you know, yeah. it doesn't make it's irrational. It doesn't make any sense, and yet people always have this this uh, the danger of this kind of animosity and prejudice against the other. Well, let's take a look now at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. Chris from Manchester, for instance, says. Other than at church on Sunday, I don't spend much time praying or thanking Jesus for all my blessings. My mind is always preoccupied with my family and job. I know my faith should be the most important part of my life, but what can I do to make certain of this? Hmm. Well, I think, Chris, it's not a matter of um, creating a bigger block of time for your faith as much as it is integrating your faith in all the things that you're already doing. Uh, yes, there's nothing wrong with being preoccupied with your family and your work in a healthy sense. Uh, and when it's balanced with all the things in life that we have to do, you know, for example, just on a physical level, exercise or a certain amount of relaxation or serenity, uh, proper diet. Well, imagine equally it's true of spirituality that uh, I, I suppose we are all preoccupied with the things that weigh on us at a given moment. But we have to find a way to put them all in the light of eternity and in the light of God and of our faith. You say you don't spend much time in praying. Well, set aside, make a resolution to pray uh, every morning when you wake up and every evening before you go to bed. And hopefully in the middle of the day, too, as we were talking about earlier. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Uh, prayer is raising your mind and heart to God. And if you do that uh, thoughtfully, prayerfully, with devotion... It doesn't have to be a lot of words, but that's the way you can transform your life. Anne from uh, Southbury says, When things go wrong, people always tell me to turn to God and pray, etc. How does God and religion really get you through hard times? Well, Anne, I think if you look at Christ hanging on the crucifix, then you understand uh, what hard times are all about. 
And it's the whole mystery of life triumphing over death and uh, love and goodness uh, uh, and beauty and truth triumphing over uh, lies and hatred and violence and all the things that were done to Jesus on the cross. I think when we look at the cross and we see that and we realize that that was not the end, that the cross is the means to the resurrection, to Easter, uh, then hopefully if we join ourselves to Christ in that way, we recognize that we are really joining ourselves to someone who's risen from the dead and who's overcome all those things. And together with him, as St. Paul says, we can do all things in him who strengthens us. You know, it's funny, Archbishop, but for instance, somebody who loses a loved one after, let's say, 60 years of marriage, and they've been together for the 60 years plus, and all of a sudden this person who's always been there is basically ripped out of your life, and the loneliness, the heartache sets in. To me, this is a critical time where God shows up. And when you invite God to show up in your life through that prayer, you know, asking God, you know, help me through this, Lord, I think somehow the Lord, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, gives us the courage to face that difficult time in life. Well, yes, of course, it's a test of faith, but if we believe in the resurrection and we believe that our loved ones, we will see them again, then it's a matter of uh, persevering in our faith and living. And, um, you know, if you if you start to, to kind of turn in on yourself and feel sorry for yourself uh, in such a way that you let that eat away at you, well, that's not healthy from any point of view, certainly not spiritually healthy. You have to go on living and with trust that... Uh, what we believe is true and that, uh, you know, the death is not the end for the person who died or for us and that uh, the best is yet to come if we have yeah. if we have faith. The bottom line is when things do go wrong, invite God into your heart, into your life. James from Bristol says, with all of the churches being closed in the state, I have noticed that my own church and others I have visited in the last year seem fuller. Is this because so many have closed and people need to find new parishes, or is it possible there are more people attending church? Well, James, I can't know exactly in the situation you've uh, witnessed what is at work, but if I had to guess, I would say it is the former rather than the latter. That is to say, it is that with fewer churches, people, thank God, are coming together more as a community, as a larger community, I don't see a trend of more people attending church uh, in Connecticut, uh, and so I think it would be the former. But that's the whole point, that uh, you know we, we can no longer sustain uh, tiny communities or uh, small communities in places that used to be very big. We, we have to uh, uh, adjust to, to the realities of the number of people we have and the number of priests we have and what we can afford to do. And... Uh, the most important thing is the people worshiping at Mass coming together. Whether it's a big church or a little church, uh, the, the important thing is the, is, uh, is the Mass. It seems to me, Archbishop, that when, when the church is full of people, as opposed to there just being 20 or 30 in a church for, for a Sunday Mass that can hold 500 or more, that when the church is full, there's a greater feeling of community, a greater feeling of prayer, and uh, the, the whole communal aspect of coming together for the liturgical celebration of the Sunday liturgy to praise God. So it, it's a greater feeling of community, um, involvement that we have. 
Well, sure. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it, it uh, is encouraging uh, yeah. to be part of something that you share with other people. Can you imagine if you went to a sporting event and there were only you know, 100 people in a stadium or something? It'd be, you'd begin to feel kind of funny. Uh, similarly, with our faith, uh, you know, we're, we're meant to be the body of Christ. We're meant to be the people of God. We're not just so many individuals. So, yeah, it's much better. I've never heard anybody go to Rome to a big mass at St. Peter's and complain that there's too many people there. Right. Most people are very moved and to see people from all over the world and so many people gathered joyfully. Well, that's what it should be in, uh, in our parishes too, to the extent you know, that they're communal. When you do go to Rome and, and celebrate Mass at St. Peter's Basilica, you realize the universality of the church, that the church is not just my neighborhood or the church is not just my diocese, but the church is the entire world. Yes, absolutely. Nancy from Meriden says, Christ prayed for unity among Christians and our union with him. What is Christian unity? Do you believe unity among all Christians is possible? Well, unity is a gift of the church that comes from God. Uh, it, it's not just us, because Christians are weak and sinful, and so from the beginning there have been divisions and disagreements among people and fallings out, and even divisions that make people go their separate ways. But in, in the Creed we say we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. That is to say the unity that God gives, that Christ gives in his body, is a gift. And we sin against that unity when we go our separate ways or have divisions. Uh, and so that's why we're always striving to heal divisions, to heal wounds, and to be ever more one. Today there are huge challenges to that, but I guess there have been for a long time. So we have to uh, pray for Christian unity and work for it. Leah from Waterbury says, What does it mean there is no salvation outside the church? Does that mean if you are not in the Catholic Church, you will not be saved? Well, whole books have been written about that, and it's hard for me to answer in a simple way, but I guess you could say that, yes, salvation comes through the church that Christ has instituted as his body and bride for that purpose. And uh, I, the church would say, and I think you can look this up in the Catechism, that one who uh, knowingly and willfully uh, left the church knowing it to, to be what Christ founded it to be, would be guilty of a grave sin. But for people who, for whatever reason, are uh, dispersed in other, historically, in other religions, other faiths, it's, it's, or other Christian bodies, well, that is something that we uh, leave to the judgment of God. Uh, you know, a person who, who uh, is, is part of a community that's broken off, let's say, from the Catholic Church, we don't necessarily say that uh, that that means that they cannot be saved, or that the grace of Christ is not at work uh, in people who are who are baptized, even if they're not part of the full communion of the Catholic Church. Archbishop, let's see if we can't squeeze in one additional question. This comes from Nathan from Canton, who says, "How is it possible for the Pope to be infallible when he is only human?" <laughs> well, Nathan, no one says that the Pope, as a human being like you or me, is infallible. It has to do with his teaching office, and that is not does not mean that the Pope can get up in the morning out of bed and say, oh, I just thought up a new doctrine that I'm going to teach infallibly. Yeah. No, that's not the way it works. It simply means that the faith of the church, which is present and, and has always been, that it, there, are, there are moments when, uh, when there's question about teaching that the Pope, in communion with what the teaching of the church has been and with all the bishops of the world, can... Uh, say for certain that this is 
truly to be believed, that this is part of the doctrine of the faith. So, and this is a rare occurrence when the Pope ever exercises such a thing, uh, and it's something that builds up through a long uh, uh, discussion and historical study and, and uh, evaluation and teaching. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord, we turn to you once again, uh, asking you to strengthen our faith and to confirm us in hope and make us ever more active in love, uh, not only uh, toward you in our prayer and devotion, but also to one another in the great family of faith that is your body and bride, the church. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week at 7 o'clock, bright and early on Sunday morning with a repeat at 1130. Until then, I hope you enjoy this week. You too. Thank you. Thank you.